Let us pray. Sovereign God, let your word rule in our hearts and your spirit govern our lives until at last we see the fulfillment of your realm of justice and peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This morning's reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. I invite you now to listen for the word of the Lord. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. The word of the Lord. As I look around our world, it is easy to see many things for which we can lament. The world is not as it should be. It seems like every time we see or hear the news, something else is going wrong. We hear news of school shootings, of wildfires, of murders, and abuse of minority groups. And the world can feel dark and hopeless. Even at this time of year, as we prepare for the holidays and more intentionally adopt a posture of gratitude, we are reminded of divides within our own families. This is the week before Thanksgiving, and it's the time when some of us ask the question, how do I make it through three days with my extended family with our vast political differences? Can we really enjoy this green bean casserole without dinner turning into a riot? We feel these personal, national, and global divides so deeply at times. And we know deep within us that the world is not as it should be. And even as we look around and see that the world is not as it should be, we gather here today. We gather on this final Sunday of the liturgical year and proclaim that Christ is King. We proclaim that Christ reigns. And it seems strange in a way. The idea of kings reigning seems foreign to most of us, and to be honest, it can feel a little antiquated. Kings and realms belong in the past, 
or as Miss Kim said, in children's storybooks or in HBO dramas. Kings come with knights and armies and often violence. Where there are kings, things are often not as they should be. And I say all this as someone who comes from a kingdom, from the United Kingdom. And we love to celebrate our contemporary cultural diversity. And in that celebration, we can forget that we ourselves have a complicated and sometimes dark past. A past filled with colonialism, exploitation and imperialism. For many, the presence and the agenda of a king and their kingdom is not good news. And yet we proclaim the good news that Christ is king. So in the face of a world that is filled with sadness and suffering, a world that is not as it should be, why do we gather here today and celebrate that Christ is king? I think it's because when we look at Christ, we see a whole different kind of king. Christ redefines what it means to be king, what it means to be Lord. Christ is king, but Christ does not rule through fear and oppression. Rather, Christ rules by pouring himself out for the sake of this creation that he loves. Christ's realm, Christ's reign, is rooted in Christ making peace through the blood of his cross, we read in Colossians. Christ did not pick up the sword and rally armies as other kings do. Christ gave himself up, and that changes everything. At the cross, we see that Christ is not a king who wages war, Rather, Christ is a king who takes the violence of this world into himself so that this world might be reconciled. When speaking of the cross, Franciscan priest Richard Rohr writes, it is not God who is violent, we are. It is not God that demands suffering of humans, we do. And Jesus is the king who enters the place of suffering. Jesus is the king who suffers with all of creation. And that changes everything. Christ is our hope. Christ is the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer of all things. Other kings and empires and nations and flags will come and go but in Christ, we find eternal life, eternal love, eternal hope. Even in the face of this fractured world that is not as it should be, God in Christ is making peace and is reconciling all things. This reconciliation happens through the cross, through a giving up, a pouring out, on the cross, Christ chooses to enact a kingdom that is not ruled by force, but by self-giving love. A love that is more abundant than the things that divide us. A love that even in the face of death leads to life. A love that reconciles us to God 
and to ourselves and to creation and to one another. And if we look closely at this world that we say is not as it should be, there are places where we can see the beginnings of this reconciliation. There are places where we see this hope. Christ's reign, Christ's kingdom, although not fully here, is changing this world even now. And the ways in which this is happening in the world are varied and beautiful. These days, when people ask me, where have I seen the kingdom of God recently? My answer has been, on a middle school mission trip. And to some, this might seem like an unlikely place, but that's part of the beauty of the glimpses of Christ's reign. They tend to be in unlikely places. This summer, a group of middle schoolers and adult participants from our congregation had the opportunity to visit 12 Baskets Cafe in Asheville in North Carolina. 12 Baskets operates without paid staff and uses only food that is no longer wanted by stores and restaurants in the Asheville area. As a side note, did you know that 84% of all adults in the US could eat a 2,000 calorie a day diet using just the food that we throw away? Through sharing meals, 12 Baskets Cafe seeks to foster mutual relationships across socioeconomic divides, deconstructing the divisive and misleading categories of haves and have-nots. The people at 12 Baskets believe these words that we read in Colossians. They believe that in Christ we belong to one another. At 12 Baskets, people believe that despite what the world might look like at times, God's abundance is a truer narrative than the narrative of of scarcity that we so often live by. Our group of middle schoolers and adults went to 12 Baskets to volunteer. But when we got there, we were giving something much more profound than an opportunity to volunteer. We were given an invitation an invitation to participate in a diverse, reconciling community. We prepared food and we served people. We shared a meal with new friends. New friends served us and we cleaned up together. In many ways, it felt like a happy and chaotic Thanksgiving day. Because at 12 Baskets, your background doesn't matter. It's a place where we all share in the abundance of God that others threw away or have failed to recognize. It's a place where everyone matters and everyone has something unique and something valid to contribute to the world. But reconciliation is a hard word. Sometimes when we think of reconciliation, we know that it's more difficult than that. I've been thinking this week of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa after apartheid. Apartheid was a system in South Africa that enforced racial discrimination during a white minority rule. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission, after apartheid, sought to contribute to the process of reconciliation in South Africa by creating a space for victims of horrific crimes to tell their story, to share their truth. To quote Bishop Tutu, This work was important because 
there is something therapeutic about telling your story. You are being acknowledged. And the things that happened during apartheid were so horrifying and so dehumanizing that Tutu, who chaired the commission, broke down and wept upon just hearing some of these stories. People spoke of torture, of family members being murdered or disappearing. In an interview, Tutu was asked, what was the worst thing about apartheid? What was the worst thing about apartheid? Tutu responded, ultimately, when it makes you doubt that you are a child of God. Language does not just describe reality, it creates the reality it describes. But Tutu also recounts that what he learned from living through apartheid and hearing these stories from so many people is that there is no situation of which we can say this is absolutely, totally devoid of hope because God is working to reconcile all things. My homeland, Northern Ireland, some call it, others call it the North, is another place that has had to find ways to participate in the sometimes difficult work of reconciliation. There was an extended period of violence in our country that we simply refer to as the Troubles. Two communities with deeply held and opposing cultural identities trying to figure out how to call the six counties that we share home. What should we call our homeland? What flag should we fly? Poet and theologian Padre Gotuma has worked for decades on peace and reconciliation efforts in my homeland. He has so many stories, some of grief and some of inexplicable hope. In one of his poems, he reflects, these questions will remain. Who are we to be with one another? And how are we to be with one another? And what to do with all these memories of all those funerals? And what about those present whose past was blasted far beyond their future? I wake, you wake, she wakes, he wakes, they wake. We wake and take this troubled beauty forward. What are the things that we need to wake to? Where are the seemingly God-forsaken places that we need to go in order to meet Christ there in a new way? How are we to be with one another? There is loss and pain and grief in all our lives. The stakes feel high. And when the stakes are high, we have a choice to make. We can give in to fear. We can believe in a zero-sum game and cause more pain and more suffering. Or we can follow the pattern of the cross and believe that on the other side of pain and suffering and death, there is life and there is a way forward. 
There have been people and organizations that have chosen to cross all kinds of divides, believing that despite our differences and despite our pain, there's a better way to live together. These people believe that crossing divides is what it means to follow Christ the King. Crossing divides does not come easily. It risks the loss of family and friends. It risks being labeled as a traitor. Crossing divides requires a willingness to admit that perhaps some of the things that our tribe has told us about the other may not be entirely true. What are the lies that we believe about other people? What are the lies we believe about ourselves? The hard work of reconciliation involves recognizing the humanity of the other and be willing to hear the ways that we may have been complicit in dehumanizing narratives. Moving forward toward peace means being willing to see the truth about ourselves and the truth about the other. That despite the fact that things are not as they should be, we are all beloved by God. We must see our common humanity and belovedness, for it is in seeing our common humanity and belovedness that we can imagine a different future together. A future that the writer of Colossians envisions and ties to the cross. In one of our own confessions, the Confession of 1967, we as a denomination declared that to be reconciled to God is to be sent into the world as God's reconciling community. That we share in God's labor of healing the enmities which separate people from God and from each other. And that Christ has called the church to this mission and given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, to participate in the work of God in the world, to participate in the reign of Christ, is to participate in the ongoing work of reconciliation. I'm thankful for the many ways that I've seen and experienced reconciliation amongst this community. Every month, we break bread and we share the cup and we proclaim that this table is a table of welcome for all of us equally. There are people in this congregation who are taking the time to build relationships with new immigrants and with our Muslim neighbors. There are children in this congregation who draw so many pictures because they want people experiencing homelessness to know that they are loved and that they matter. And every Wednesday in Wilson Hall, we share different tables. We come together, old and young, housed and unhoused, American and foreign, Democrat and Republican, people of diverse genders, orientations, races and backgrounds, and we meet together because in Christ we belong to one another, and in Christ we are called to participate together in God's work of reconciliation and healing. And all of these things are glimpses of the upside-down kingdom of Christ, where the way to rule is to give oneself up in love. I pray that as we gather with friends and family this week, we can enjoy that green bean casserole without the riot. I pray that at those tables that are sometimes so difficult to sit at, we would encounter the king of love 
in unexpected ways. I pray that we would be pleasantly surprised and filled with hope because of the ways we see Christ's reconciling work in unlikely places. And I pray that as we enter this new liturgical year together, may we be receptive to God's continued call to reconciliation. God's dream is big. God is reconciling all things. So may we find new ways to love more deeply. May we swing the doors of welcome even wider. May we venture even further across that divide that we may know even more deeply that in Christ we belong to God and we belong to one another. Amen.